The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pot of thunder and rock and roll and boxing. Because today I got the champ, Iron Mike Tyson, on Talk is Jericho. I've been trying to get him for over three years. I finally got him. You're going to hear our chat coming up. We talk about his new podcast, Bite the Mic, his boxing career, his favorite fights and opponents, his WWE run in 1998 and how that happened, uh, his uh, training of pigeons. He keeps pigeons. And the champ even weighs in on the upcoming Mayweather-McGregor fight. He is going to tell you who he thinks is going to win. Uh, he's going to talk about The Hangover. He's going to talk about knocking me out on Raw. Lots of stuff coming up with Iron Mike Tyson. But before that, I'm hoping by now that you're listening to Talk is Jericho on the new Podcast One app. It's out and it's amazing. Uh, you can do so much more than just listen to episodes. You can comment, share pictures and articles, connect with other fans. And one of my favorite things, watch some of your favorite podcasts in 360 virtual reality uh, video. There are over a thousand 360 videos on the app. And if you haven't checked them out, you should. It's like sitting uh, right in the studio like you're part of the show there is really no other podcast app out there like the new podcast one app so download it now at the app store or google play and check out those 360 videos very very cool speaking of cool my fourth book no is a four-letter word is available for pre-order at my amazon store amazon.com slash i am jericho the book is out august 29th but you can pre-order it now so it'll be sent to you as soon as it's released it is 20 principles of how i achieve the goals that i've been trying uh, that I tried to uh, uh, aspire to when I was a kid, being in a rock and roll band, being a wrestler. 20 principles on how they made those dreams come true. And you can make your dreams come true. Just check out No is a four-letter word. Go pre-order it now at Amazon.com slash I am Jericho. Uh, it's going to help all you sexy beasts talk as Jericho fans. Achieve your dreams. And speaking of dreams, we just had a dream vacation in Maui uh, over the past week, uh, me with the family. We didn't get to see uh, Talk is Jericho alumni Shep Gordon, but we did have a great amount of time, uh, lots of great experiences. And one of my favorite was going spearfishing with Ash, the fish expert, who was going to join us and tell us all about this incredible experience of uh, catching invasive species and uh, even catching an octopus. So uh, a quick check-in with Ash, the fish expert, talking about spearfishing in Hawaii. All right, so... uh just got back uh, from Hawaii here with Ash, the fish expert, and incredible vacation, great time, a little bit jet lagged. Oh yeah, just a bit. Yeah, but uh, we had some really cool experiences, and I think one of the biggest ones was uh, spearfishing uh, with the fine folks at the Maui Spearfishing Academy. So uh, tell me why you wanted to try this and, and, and how, uh, how it was. I've always wanted to try spearfishing. We were talking about it on the car back. It's the equivalent of bow hunting. You know, it's just like 
it puts you down there. Usually when you fish, you fish with a rod and reel, and you, you never see your bait, you never see the fish take it, and, you know, you, it's just a waiting game. It's just a waiting game, and that's not at all what uh, spearfishing is. Spearfishing is actively hunting your prey. And it, it's cool to, you know, come across a fish, chase it for a minute, dive to, you know, whatever, 30 feet, and then just, you know, pray that you, you know, hit your target. Let's talk about the basic concept of spearfishing is not the actual spearfishing itself. Well, that's free diving. Free diving is the basic foundation of it. But that, that, that's a foundation, but that's not spearfishing. Spearfishing is a sport. Yeah, but you have to know how to free dive in order to spearfish. Well, you could right? also do, like, scuba gear. Okay, but the one we did was free dive The one we did was free dive. So that, to me, was, was the part that I didn't even realize was going to be such a big... Uh, big component of spearfishing was actually having to learn how to free dive. Yeah, now that, that was experience, an experience. Talk about that. Well, you know, it's 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 all breath control. It's all breath control, but it's like well, it's not even breath control. It's disciplining yourself to you know, to the point where I can stay down at this depth for this long. Our instructor, uh, you know, he Bobby. said Bobby. He said that, you know, the average human being has up to four minutes of air in just one just one breath, one breath. Mm-hmm. And whenever if you ever have if you've ever held your breath, and you know you feel when you're at the end of your line, you feel all this just you gotta burst, you gotta breathe. That's CO two, and um, to bypass that, you just have to discipline yourself. It's basically a mental game. What he said it was that everybody, when you take a breath of air. That is enough air for four minutes. Four minutes in the average person. In the average person. But when you start getting to one minute or a minute and a half and start panicking. That anxiety you, takes over. Anxiety takes you over. You have to breathe. Yeah. But you don't really have to breathe if you can control it. Yeah. Have to breathe with air quotations. You know. Right. Have to breathe. And another thing too about, about swimming down is you have to constantly. Uh, equalize. Equalize. The pressure. And how do you do that? You just pinch your nose and you know blow. Yeah, so you're trying to blow out your ears when your ears are plugged. If you've ever popped your ears in an airplane, it's exactly that, but you're underwater. But you have to do that every three three feet or every two seconds to keep yourself equalized or else you're like the one time you didn't do it properly, what happened? Well, I was going after an invasive grouper called a Roy. It was a a very large Roy. It was my first time out spearfishing. We did it twice. And I was going down, and I was chasing it, I was chasing it, and in the moment, I forgot to equalize. And then I just stopped. Like, I just stopped moving, I panicked, and I, you know, my teeth started to hurt. I went to the, you know, not my teeth, my gums. And I went to the surface, I was like, I couldn't do it, I think something, you know, I think I did something to my head. And apparently it was a burst capillary, Mm. something like that. Nothing too serious, just... Don't do it again without, you know, equalizing. But amazing how your teeth were affected because it's your ear, nose, and throat, and teeth are all connected, yeah. right? Yeah. Not, not, not my teeth, my gums. Okay. And so what we're out there searching for, hunting for, is invasive species, like you said. Like the Roy. The Roy. What else? Black-tailed grunt and the blue-striped grunt. All invasives on the Hawaii reefs. And, why, reefs. and where did they come from? The Philippines, I, I believe. They said that the Filipinos, when they started coming to Hawaii... For plantation work. Yeah, brought all of their own fish because they wanted to their still... Their own fish and deer and goat and sheeps. 
they basically wanted to make Maui, like, you know, the Philippine plantation workers, they wanted them, they wanted government or wherever. Yeah, they wanted to make them seem like they were at home yeah, they and wanted, eating their they own wanted food. more people. They, you know, by making Maui more like the, you know, Philippines, they expected, you know, to draw in more more workers, more yeah. So so they basically just took all these fish and dumped them into the ocean. Yeah, and there's a bunch no of animals on the land. Yes, yeah, so there's, no, there's no natural predators for them. So they're just out there just eating everything. Out there, they're eating everything. And it's weird though because Roy have a chance of having a disease. I believe it's a neurotoxin, which means a nervous system and whatnot. Um, and they're not edible, not safe. Uh, they're not safely edible. So you know, it's, why did they bring the roy? Because these reef fish are not capable of making the swim from the Philippines to Hawaii. You know, the mm-hmm. islands of Hawaii. So it you know brings up the question: Why even bring the roy in, in the first place? You know, it's like. Well, that's just to make them feel like they're at home. Yeah, but still, there's no... It, why would they do that? I mean... Well, it's because it's, it's just a stupid human thing. That's what they've done. No, but still, there's, like, even a stupid human would, like, know that there's no, you know, f- there's no edibility to them. You can't eat them. Right, right, they right. They serve yeah. no purpose. They're just there. They're just there eating reef every, fish. 150 reef fish, 150 edible reef fish every year. Are killed by one roy. By one roy. So when you shot the roy... Mm-hmm. You single-handedly saved 150, 150 fish. So tell us about that. So the spear gun is like an old-school spear gun. It's all based on rubber bands, basically. Not you, entirely. Well, they're, they're pulleys or whatever. Basically what it is, it's just a metal shaft with the trigger mechanism and the spear. And based, well, like you said, it's pulling the rubber bands back to an, an, a notch in the spear. And then the triggering mechanism, which launches it out, which launches it, launches it. The spear out. Yes. Sorry, I couldn't. You got it. Keep on. Speak. Um, and then a cable, uh, like a four hundred pound test, uh, for instance, was in one of the ones we use for bigger, larger fish. And uh, you know, the longer, longer, or the more rope you have, the more line you have. Mm-hmm. You know, the longer the distance it shoots. And it's a crazy thing because when you're shooting it, you'd think the water, the current would maybe divert it to other areas. You know, and you know, mess up the accuracy. It's not at all like that, you know. It's just... Yeah, it shoots straight out and quick. And you have to be close, which is why you have to be so deep in the water. But you actually... I didn't shoot anything, but you actually shot a Roy. Shot one, and it was like six inches. Which is even better, though, because you want to get them while they're small before they eat some of these fish. So how did you catch? How did you shoot it? Well, our guide was um, doing a, a method called the ambush, which is where he lies at the bottom for a good minute or so, waits for the fish to get used to him and get come closer. Then he shoots him. And while he was doing that, I turned around and I had uh, the backup. He had one gun and I had the backup gun. And I turned around and I saw this little Roy and he was darting in and out of the rocks. And I kind of drifted off from you know, Chris, my dad. And uh, I just, you know, dived down about six feet. And he saw me and tried to go into the rocks and just expose the he did the worst thing he could have done is exposed his side and his side is a better shot than you know the top of him because the top of him is like an inch while the side of him is like three inches so it's a bigger target and i just shot him and it was dead center 
And no one knew it until I brought it to the surface, you know, shouting, yeah. <laughs> and I was watching Bobby trying to ambush yeah. the fish, which means he's down yeah. at the bottom of the ocean floor still. And I hear like a like a gun go off, but it wasn't him. Like I didn't even think about it. And I turn around and you've got a damn Roy speared right through. So you single-handedly saved 150 reef fish with that shot. I guess, yes. Yeah. I think the most, one of the most enjoy. it was definitely one of the most enjoyable fishing experiences in my life. Just because the experience, it was a snorkel trip. We saw so many different types of species. We saw at least the 90-pound pufferfish. How big was that pufferfish? It was fish? a big pufferfish. We saw a, a turtle, a, a yeah, giant turtles. turtle just swimming around. Yeah, hundreds of fish. And um, on our way in, our guide had just shot a fish, a game fish, and it's called a blue bluefin jack. And as it swam past him, he shot it. And while he was stringing up the fish onto our, our our rope, I went and stood on a rock. And I looked down into the rock because I thought I saw a little movement. And it, there was this little black, squishy-looking thing. And I, uh, my first thought was, oh, it's probably a sea cucumber. And then I kind of poked it with my spear. And then it moved. I saw a tentacle slither back into the uh, the crevice in the rock. And I freaked out because it was an octopus. And I freaked out in a good way because on our fir- this is our second trip, by the way. All we, went, the- we went twice yeah, we went last twice. week. Yeah. On our first trip, our guide had spotted an octopus, grabbed it out of a uh, out of a like coral head at twenty feet, brought it to the surface, and we played for played with it. Like yeah, it we was were playing a- with the octopus. It was, it awesome. was you know wrapping on our uh, wrapping around our arms, you know, just exploring. Really, I mean, it was a harmless. I wouldn't say harmless, but you can just sense the intelligence, the mm-hmm. strength behind this. He was shooting his black ink off. Yeah, it's shooting the ink everywhere. But anyway, on the second trip, I stood on a rock, saw the octopus in a crevice, and I was just yes, like it would. It tied the perfect trip, you know. It tied it, tied, it together tied, perfectly. Yeah, yeah, tied together perfectly, and I, I'm like, Bobby, come here, come here, come here, and he uh, sticks the spear in this like maybe like a five inch you know, five-inch diameter circle. And he starts to, you know, bothering it, poking it, and eventually just has enough, grabs onto the uh, spear, and he just pulls it out. And there's another octopus. And it's so weird because this one climbed on my arm and then just wouldn't let go. Twisted all around, had tentacles all over your arm. All over my arm, all over my wetsuit. And it was trying to stick, you know, its tentacles up my nose into my mouth. And I was kind of freaking out, so I was batting away. Just... The one did go on your snorkel. Yeah, it went into my snorkel, and I just started freaking out. I was like, what, does it get, what, if, what if it gets into my mouth? And then uh, Bobby just says, let's just go in and see how far he, uh, you know. You swim uh, in and see how long he rides on you. And he was there for a good 100 feet before he let go. Yeah. It's funny because we watched uh, Skull Island oh, yesterday on the, on, the, on the plane home. And when Kong pulls the, the octopus out of the lake oh, and starts yeah, yeah, eating yeah. it, um, it was, that was just like you with the tentacle coming out of his mouth. <laughs> oh, yeah. That was such a crazy thing. You know, kind of switching topics here to uh, Skull Island. Mm-hmm. What a great movie! Great movie, absolutely insane. loved it. Yeah, it's very. The, the, the end of it, when the credits end, they see the two people are in the uh, in the in the scientific area, and they the find SAS out, guy. SAS, yeah, and they found out there's a whole bunch more islands, and the last island on the painting on the wall shows Godzilla. 
So it looks like we're going for Kong versus Godzilla, maybe. Uh, you know, I would I would be excited for a Kong, uh, uh, King Kong versus Godzilla, Godzilla. You know, yeah, yeah. It's been a while. <laughs> so uh, overall, spearfishing, uh, one of your favorite parts of the trip? By far, my favorite part. It might. It probably is my favorite. You know, my favorite moment in fishing in my life so far. And what was your favorite moment of spearfishing? I don't know. It's got to be between shooting the Roy, the octopus, and then just swimming out there and just yeah. going down. Yeah. My, and we saw tons of eels. Did I forgot to eels, mention that. Yeah. Tons of like five-foot eels. My favorite more. part was, uh, well, besides you catching the Roy and the octopus, which was amazing, was going down so deep and finding the little uh, blackfish. What's it called? Black-tailed. Oh, black-tailed grunt? Black-tailed grunt. That's what I was looking face-to-face at, right? No, you were looking at a Roy. Oh, okay. I was so close to him. And he still missed. And I still missed the shot, but I wasn't even thinking about my breath. I was just thinking about the fish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When, I, once you're like hunting your prey, you just forget about depth. You forget about your breath, and you can just stay down there. It seems like yes, forever. Yes, yes, yes. When you're just chasing the fish, you're chasing it. And you have your gun pointed at it, and it darts to the left, right, wherever, and it's just like like you can stay down there forever just trying to yeah, kill it. So do. Yeah, once you get that breath control and the technique, which we got, we're definitely going to go spearfishing again. If you're ever in Maui, go to the Maui Spearfishing Academy. Ask for Bobby. Tell him Ash the Fish Expert sent you. I definitely recommend it. All right, thanks to Ash the Fish Expert, such an intelligent kid. i got to get him a fishing show. But you should have seen that octopus uh, climbing all over him. It was crazy. He did shoot a Roy all on his own. Just a tremendous experience. Like I said, if you want to try something new, go spearfishing, uh, free diving. You're going to go really, really deep. I think at one point I was about 40 feet deep. Uh, great experience with Bobby and all the fine people at the Maui Spearfishing Academy. Go check that out and get ready to check out Mike Tyson. The champ is here on Talk is Jericho. Kind of a crazy story how this happened, and uh, I did it while I was on uh, vacation in Maui. I want to give a big mahalo uh, to Jenny Leong and Michael McCartney for helping me out with the studio. They let me use their studio on Maui where they host their own show, The Time Machine. You should check out their show as well at thetimemachine.fm and follow them on the Twitter at Maui Time Machine, not to be confused with the Miami Time Machine or the Miami Sound Machine, whatever it is, and on Facebook at The Time Machine. Thanks again to Jenny Leong and Michael McCartney. Um, Hall of Famer Mike Tyson's on the way. We tried to get him for about three years. He came out of the woodwork um, wanting to promote his, uh, his, his podcast. So uh, Stacy, my amazing producer, and I tried to figure out the right time. Uh, he wanted to do it a few weeks ago when I was uh, at a wedding. Then he didn't have any other options, and his only option was Hawaii. With the time change, it was about 8.30 in the morning, Hawaii time. I went over to Michael uh, McCartney's studio, and uh, Jenny Leong's studio, uh, and uh, got Mike on the phone. Uh, let me tell you this. Mike was not the most talkative of guests. A lot of one-word and two-word answers. It was very very challenging as an interviewer to uh, to keep him uh, moving, shall we say. But that's one of the things that we do here at Talk is Jericho. This is now our 367th show. So, uh, sorry, 376th show. So when you've been doing this as long as I have, sometimes if guests don't really want to talk a lot, you got to lead them through it and just get what you can. But, uh, hey, it's Iron Mike Tyson, right? Like, uh... Uh, the greatest boxer of all time, one of the greatest boxers of all time, and the man who knocked me out uh, on Monday Night Raw. We talk about that. So you're going to hear all about Mike Tyson, all about Chris Jericho, all about his podcast, The Hangover, The Pigeons, everything in between. But first, uh, I got another 
WWE Hall of Famer who's hitting the road. Mike is also a WWE Hall of Famer. But this one is not Iron Mike Tyson. It's Diamond Dallas Page who's heading to Europe on the DDP UK tour. He's talking crazy stories, over-the-top motivation, hilarious Q&As. He's going to take it across the pond and start on September 8th, the DDP UK tour. You'll be able to meet Dallas in person, take a selfie with him, even have him sign an autograph or two for you. Join in on the inspiration meets perspiration and experience Dallas's affectious energy for yourself. Uh, the, the greatest workout you could ever experience, uh, private and personally given to you by Diamond Dallas Page. So go to ddpuktour.com to reserve your spot, get all the details. That's ddpuktour.com. He's also doing DDP yoga workshops in Glasgow, Manchester, Birmingham, and London. And if Dallas isn't going to be in a city near you anytime soon, you just fix that by getting the DDP Yoga Now app and get on the track to healthier living. You know what DDP Yoga has done for me in my career. I got the DDP Yoga Now app on my phone. I just open the app and do the workout wherever I am. Over 150 workouts on the app, as well as the opportunity to do live workouts from the DDP Yoga Performance Center in Smyrna, Georgia. And DDP Yoga can help you get in shape and live a healthier life as well. Dallas has thought of everything because he truly cares about everyone. He wants everyone to live a healthier life, meet all their fitness goals, and his DDP Yoga program is great for anyone and everyone, any age, any skill level. And with the app, you can track your progress, get nutrition tips, recipes, all the motivation you need to stick with the program, stay on that game plan. Diamond Dallas Page has made it so easy for you to get on board his life-changing program. Just take advantage of this tremendous deal he's Dallas is offering. He's giving you 20% off the DDP Yoga Now app. All DDPY match swag and clothing. Just go to ddpyoga.com slash Jericho. That's ddpyoga.com slash Jericho. It's time to own your life. Get in the best mental and physical shape uh, of your lifetime and do it in person if you're in the UK. Go to ddpuktour.com. Reserve your spot. Get all the details on how you can meet DDP and work out with them face-to-face, one-on-one. Go do it now. Start today. Talk is Jericho. I got my old rival, Iron Mike Tyson here. And my old tag team partner too. What's going on, Chris? Yeah, man. Do do you? Uh, it's so funny to to talk to you after I think I think the only match you ever had as an official WWE superstar was a tag team match with me. Is that you remember that? Yes, that was pretty awesome. It was one of the scariest moments of my life when I had to stand Come there <laughs> and turn around. Yeah, it's fun. And wait for for Iron Mike to throw a punch at me and say, "I was like, I hope maybe maybe Mike's gonna be mad at me, or maybe he's gonna be maybe he misses." It was a crazy moment in my life, man. I had fun. It was a great moment in my life. <laughs> because you you were you told me you were a big uh, a big wrestling fan throughout when you were a kid and growing up. Yeah, my whole life as a kid, my whole life. So since Moon Dog Man and Bruno Sammartino was champion, and because you grew up in New York, so Bruno was the big star there at that yeah. time, right? Yeah, big time. Did you watch him on TV? Did you ever go to the matches at all? Absolutely, absolutely, yes. Do you remember going to the matches? Yeah. What? Uh, what did you go to the Garden? I was just a baby. I was eight years old. I saw him fight Nikolai Volkov. <laughs> it's funny how you remember those things. Like from seventy-four, when you... something like that. Seventy-five. What do you what do you remember from the from that time? If you're just a baby and eight years old, what do you think about that? Do you remember like the the crowd? I used to man, I used man, I I just got into the crowd and it was just amazing just to see that live up close in person. Yeah, to be a part. I remember the first couple times I used to go to the matches and just so many people being in the arena at once. It kind of freaked me out to see like there's so many people here watching this one certain match, this one certain vibe. So many nowadays, there's so many changes. So, you know, there's so many guys in wrestling. 
Do you still watch from time to time, Mike? Absolutely, yeah. If I see a good fight on, I watch it. Yeah. So, so how did you get involved with the WWE back in '98? Did they? Did they? Do you remember all the story behind that, where they brought you in to be the guest referee and the whole thing with Austin and everything? Yeah, that was pretty awesome too. So, what do you remember about that? Tell me about it. I don't remember. I just remember that um, Vince McMahon said, "Come on board with the family," and he said, the, "He said the matches are fake, but the checks are real." <laughs> Well, that was a huge deal at the time because I remember WCW had Dennis Rodman involved and then WWE had you involved and WCW was like winning the ratings war and they were on top of the business and then you coming in with, to the WWE kind of changed everything around and brought WWE into being the number one company. It was the catalyst was you. Yeah, it was really fun though. I enjoyed my time with you guys. I, I love the night that you and I were together because uh, we were a tag team. It was Tyson and Jericho versus Shawn Michaels and uh, and Triple H. Triple and, H, Triple H, remember that? Yeah, remember. And they they had they, they we brought, we came in the ring earlier in the day and we were going, kind of going over some some moves and and they were teaching a couple a couple things in the corner and all that sort of thing. And then the whole part of the yes. match was that you turned on me. Do you remember that? Yes. And then took a swing at me, knocked me out. And then, oh, gave, man. then gave me the cross chop and said, suck it. <laughs> and then I turned on Shawn Michaels at the end. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You're turn, you, you can't be trusted, Mike. I, I, can't, I can't, know, man. They gave, they gave me out to be the two-timing guy. <laughs> you know, Mike, it's funny. I, I'm, I was just going to say with, with, with Iron Mike Tyson, um, on the, do people still call you Iron Mike? Every now and then someone would say that. It's one thing I love about boxing is because uh, they still call you champ as well. Something for me, whenever I meet boxing fans, they call me champ from being a, you know a wrestling champion. But when you're a champ in boxing, you get called champion for the rest of, of, of your life, right? I guess so. <laughs> I hear it. Yeah, you hear that too, right? How many times were you the champion? Yeah, three times. Three times, right, right. Is there one that stands out the most that you enjoyed the most? Um, my first one was Trevor Burbick. And you were, I was 20 years old. How was it for you as a 20 year old kid to be the champion of the world? Hey, it's just a fast roller coaster. Right. Going through the whole thing. Because that's one of those things like when you're 20 years old. I mean, I, I got into wrestling when I was 19 and obviously wasn't as, as worldwide famous as you. But when you're that, when you're that young, it's, it's kind of hard to, uh, to realize what's going on. You just kind of accept it. You look back on it now and realize how hey, special it is. 100% you just accept it. You look back on it now, you wish you did so many other things different. Like, like what, Mike? What would you wish that you did different? I wish I would have trained more during the end of my career. Oh. Did you kind of take it for granted because you were so good at the time yeah. that it would last forever? Yeah. Exactly. Kind of, yeah. Yeah, I, I've noticed that before too. It's like if you, if you knew then what you only knew now, sort of a thing, right? Exactly. What do you, do you still do? You still spar? Do you still box? Just for, for no, I don't do any of that stuff. I just do the regular stuff, do the treadmill, do some weights, you know, simple workout abs. Do that sort of thing. You know, it's funny when we did our little bit uh, on Raw. We were uh, we did a little backstage vignette where I put on the boxing gloves and you were you were sparring with me. Yeah. Uh, First of all, I put the boxing gloves on backwards, which you thought was really funny. <laughs> <laughs> I'm such an idiot. I don't know anything about boxing, and I put the things on backwards, and you were laughing. You put them on backwards. You got them on backwards. 
But you still had such a hard punch, man. Like you, that was like it blew me away. You almost ripped my shoulder out just by punching, doing the sparring that you did. Um, was that still? Do you think your, your biggest uh, asset was your punching power? Yes, and my speed. Speed as well, right? Is that just a natural yeah. thing? Is that something that you work on? Like I, I don't. Like I said, not. Yeah, it's, it's work on it every day. Mm-hmm. And the speed and, and the, so so when you're when you're boxing with somebody uh, and you mentioned your speed and your power, uh, is it kind of like chess, waiting to see what your other guy is going to do, and then you kind of move that way? And is that kind of how you work? Hundred percent. Wow. Yes. Yeah. I don't even know how to play chess, but everyone tells me this: just play chess. Everybody's want everybody want to counter your move. Mm-hmm. So they're kind of waiting for you to make the first move, or, or you do the yeah, or exactly. vice versa. Do, do it's you, like chess and full speed. Hmm. It's, 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 it, now was it was it Customato that kind of taught you that sort of thing? Who who kind of helped you with your boxing? Because yeah. you know, being such a crazy. That's cra- who it was Customato started me off. Well, and how does and how did how did he connect with you being a kid from the streets? Well, he met me through one of his um, ex ex boxers. And so he obviously knew yeah. that he had something special in you. Yeah, and then he started training me, and then he told me I was going to be champ of the world. He was right. So he believed in you that early on. Yes, he did. Hmm. Let me ask you now, Mike, and you're talking about, I mean, uh, how boxing has kind of gone up and down recently. And I'm sure the question that everyone's been asking you about is, is, is Mayweather and, and Conor McGregor. What's your opinion on that fight? Mayweather's going to win. I agree with you a thousand percent. I, I don't think that, that McGregor has any chance whatsoever because he's not a trained boxer. hundred percent. You know, he's it's going to make a lot of money. <laughs> but that's the thing. Like, like you know, I'll, I'll buy the fight for sure. But knowing... That nothing's really going to happen. I'm going through the fight too. I want to go. I know nothing's going to happen. Right. I mean, you, you know, because you know, May, Mayweather. There's no way Mayweather's going to take the chance of of messing up his, you know, his 49 and 0 record. So he's not even going to get close to McGregor. I don't think. And McGregor's not a boxer, no. so he's not going to take the chance either. McGregor won't be able to touch him. Right. And you've seen Floyd do that with the last few matches that he's had with the Pacquiao match, Pacquiao fight and all that sort of stuff. He just basically, he just ducks and dodges. It's hard to hit him. Do you appreciate that style of fighting, Mike? Do you appreciate the, the smart? I understand it, yes. Yes, I understand it. Because once again, that's, that's the chess aspect of it. Exactly. He does it like no one else. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do, do you ever, like, uh, when you see somebody, like, let's say Ali or something along those lines, do you ever think to yourself what it would have been like to be in the ring with a guy like Ali? Like, do you think Ali is the best fighter of all time, or who do you figure is the best? Yeah, Ali's the best by no foot by far. So what do you think? Let's say, let's say, like, you have Ali in his prime versus Tyson in his prime. What happens then? I don't know. I, I don't know. I never think about that. Yeah. You never think about the video game aspect of it? No, I never think about that. People make video games about it, but that's just a video game. Do do you have a a copy of uh, Iron Mike Tyson's Punch Out at all? No, man. <laughs> you got that stuff? I was obsessed with that game when I was a kid. I used to go to the grocery store near my house, and they had uh, they had Mike Tyson's Punch Out. I used to spend so many quarters on that damn machine trying to see if yeah, I could. Glass Joe and all those guys. <laughs> yeah, all the guys coming up, and the idea was to get to you, and I could never get to you, man. It was. It was. It used to. I spent so much. My mom used to get so mad at me because I would. I would come home late because I was playing Mike Tyson's Punch Out. Are crazy, man? The longest field goal ever attempted is seventy-six yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also seventy-six yards. 
Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. You're listening to Talk is Jericho. So, Mike, let me tell you, let's talk about something that's interesting to me because it's something similar to, to what I do as far as transitioning out of boxing and transitioning out of wrestling into reinventing yourself uh, into doing all these different things that you're doing. Now, I mean, the one thing that you're doing right now is, is your new podcast, Bite the Mic. Uh, tell me how, how you decided to start doing a podcast and how it's been so far. Well, me and my partner, Peter Rosenberg, decided to have a mic, um, a, uh, one of those um, um, iPods, right? And I said, I didn't know anything about it yeah. so far. And then, and then he put me involved with it more and more. And we interviewed a couple of people, and it was pretty interesting. Is how is it for you to be the interviewer instead of being the interviewee? It's fun. It's, is, this, is this Peter Rosenberg from New York? Yes, I know him. No kidding. So he's your partner. It, yes. Gotcha. So who have you interviewed? Yeah, so- he gets good questions. He get good answers out of them. So do you, do you uh, do you talk to people that you know or people that you don't know or, or just anybody? Well, I talk to people so far. People I knew like um, Russell Simmons. Absolutely, Def Jam Records. Flavor Flav, I saw. Flavor Flav. <laughs> yeah, boy! <laughs> Flavor Flav. <laughs> Did you ever listen to public? Yeah, we got to get you on the, we gotta get you on the bite the mic, man. I love it, man. Absolutely. Because I've known Peter Rosenberg for years. I've been busting his balls for years, man. Yeah, bust them some more. <laughs> so when you're talking about Flavor Flav, like when you're training or, or even now, what kind of music do you listen to? When I'm trained, I listen mostly to hip-hop music, fast music. Mm-hmm. Did you, did you listen to Public Enemy? Like, what other kind of stuff do you, do you like? I listen to everybody. Mm-hmm. And that's cool, yeah, for sure. It's, it's amazing how music can get you all pumped up for whatever it is that you want to do, right? Yeah, you got to get that work out of it. You got to get that work out of it. You get that fast Public Enemy. Quick, start it. <laughs> so, so um, other things that you've done as well, like I really appreciated your one-man show but that you took all the way to Broadway. Yeah, we're getting ready to do a part two. My wife is working on it now. So what did you talk about during that? Like, it, It's interesting to be, because this is just by yourself. There's no one else on stage. This is just you. Well, it's going to be, it's going to be my, mostly my manic moments, some of my crazy interviews, and I got to talk about what happened right here and this and that. And then, and then you're going to meet. Hey, listen, I met some guys. um, I met a guy who was a sports writer, and he was a, a, a sniper. He, he was a serial killer. Hmm. He gave me. He gave, um, I did an interview with him in Phoenix, and they next thing I know, he was the baseline shooter. You're kidding me. Yeah, the FBI came to me and thought I knew the guy because he did an interview with me, and he had me on his. I uh, he had me on his um, website, shaking his hand. So he's he, a boxing promoter. So he turned into a, a serial killer after he did the interview with you. Well, uh, he probably was a serial killer before that, but I know he would get arrested for it. So they, they thought he was your friend because they had a picture of you up on the website with him? Yes, yes. FBI came to my gym. Doesn't that blow your mind as a, you know, obviously a, a very world-famous people? I deal with that sometimes, too. When something like that happens, they come back to you as if it was, like, your big eternal plan to have this 
interview with this evil guy. It's like, you don't know what's going on. You don't know who this guy is. Hey, but that's going to be part of the show, too. Like, wow, this, this is my life. Yeah, well, sure. Have you had other experiences like that before, Mike, of people wanting to take advantage oh, of you? absolutely, absolutely. Like, I was, um, where was that? In Australia. Next thing I know, I got these guys. I saw a picture of me around some guys with some army fatigue on, and you got big beards and stuff. Next thing I know, these guys from ISIS took a picture of it with me. I said, hey, how did they get back here, man? And the guy said, well, they paid for a backstage pass to meet you, meet and greet. And I said, what? <laughs> oh, man. And and, and, and and then if that picture gets out, it's Mike Tyson with ISIS, you know, got, like as if it's your uh, desire to well, be talking. Well, everybody know I'm not no ISIS guy, so well, absolutely. don't worry about that stuff. <laughs> yeah, but still, I mean, I, I had it this week where I was at a, a, a memorial concert for a friend of mine who passed away. And I had some fans outside. You know, fans can be very pushy at times and very rude at times. You, you know the type, right? Exactly. So the guy was asking me some questions and being kind of pushy, and I just basically just, I'd had enough, and I told him to go away, and he got mad at me, so I started yelling at him, screaming, you know, I just, I was really frustrated because I was in a bad state of mind because my friend had passed away, and the next thing you know, what's up on TMZ, Jericho yells at fan, drops F-bombs, and it's like, it's so funny. Oh, God. You have to understand, we're human, too. Yeah, exactly, man. We're human, and you come at me at a time when my friend has passed away early in his life. I don't want to talk to anybody. I'm not in a good mood, and you keep See, pushing. But that's the whole thing. They don't care about that. They just want to get you in that news that you went crazy. Exactly, and then and, and do the clickbait, you know, of of you know Mike Tyson or Chris Jericho does this, this, and this. I guess that's just the world we live in in this day and age. Yeah, you gotta be very careful in this world right now. Well, totally, man. Totally, absolutely. So, what other stuff? So, you said you're about ready to do a part two for for your Broadway play for your Broadway uh, one yes. show. And is this going to be? Yes. So it must have been a huge hit. How was that for you? Did you enjoy uh, basically performing in front of a crowd in a different aspect? Absolutely, 100%, man. It was just, oh, man. But the only thing, it was just becoming just that one show. I wanted to do our other show so bad, but this one show, part one, just sucked up all the air out of the room. So now we're getting a chance to do a part two. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, and this is on Broadway. I mean, that's Broadway, man. Yeah. Mike Tyson on Broadway. Did you ever think? <laughs> Never in a million years. So, and, and another thing I really enjoyed too is was your show that you had. Uh, um, I believe it was on Animal Planet about you w with the relationship that you had with your pigeons. Yeah, I got a lot of pigeons. I'm a pigeon lover. Now, did that start when you were a kid? Yes. And and, and why is that? Is it where you grew up? There's a lot of pigeons. It's just something that it's just something that we do in our neighborhood. That's just what we do. It's, a, it's like um, it's our heritage. That's just what we do. It's hard to even explain. It's just what we do in our life. Till we die in the area that you grew up in yes well that would make sense because if you you could you grew up kind of down downtown inner city new york yeah, but i have pigeons right now i have pigeons right now in my backyard so do, do they you keep them all in cages obviously oh they have their own house they have a house a pigeon house yes how many pigeons do you have around 200 <laughs> now let me ask you this mike do you know every one of them do you know their names <laughs> Absolutely, no. Really, you can tell the difference. They don't have names. They don't have names, but I know who they are, what they are, where they came from, their mother, their father, and all that crazy stuff. So you're that's that's amazing to me that you're that that into it. So what what do you feed pigeons? Like, how do you take care of them? You feed them like popcorn and, and pellets and stuff like that. One thing I noticed about the show is it was kind of a calming influence for you being around the pigeons. Is it something that kind of is it kind of a Zen moment for you to to take care of them? 
I wouldn't say that. It's just um, it's a part of my life. Mm-hmm. Just something that you do. Yes. Like instead of like having a dog or a cat, you have pigeons. Exactly. Gotcha. I used to have a potbelly pig as a pet. Oh man, what's that? Well, man, what was that like? Well, it's it's really cute when it's first born, right? And then as it grows up, it's growing into a pig, so it, it's smelly. It squeals huge. If you pick it up, it's just like. Wee! So it becomes quite annoying yeah. to other people, but it's my it's, it's my potbelly pig, man. You know, I love my pig. What happened to it? Uh, it was I, I when I first started training wrestling. Uh, I lived on a farm in Canada, and so you know it was it was just part of the farm life. You know that grows up and then it becomes a, a big pig, and then you either yeah, you got, oh yeah, you got to be on the you got be on that little plate. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> You got to become part of that plate menu. Yeah. Something you can't tell the kids, you know. Yeah, you know the yeah. pepper the pig is now uh, sausages, <laughs> and that's the good thing about pain, uh, about uh, pigeons is that you can't. Well, I'm sure you could eat them, but no one does, so they're going to be there forever. That's what I'm playing on. You know, I just watched uh, uh, the Hangover again the other day, and that was a that was a big moment for you um, in, in your career. It was kind of a, a a comeback for you when you did that movie. Hey, that was really an awesome movie, and, that, and the fact that they went into was even more awesome. I thought um, I was very fortunate. I'm very appreciative of that. So, when something like that comes across your desk, because at the time, I mean, no one really knew what the Hangover was. Um, I didn't really care that much about it. I wasn't really that much interested in it, and then they explained it to me. And um, when I did went to the show. It was awesome. Well, because yeah, like you said, it's like you, you come on there, and then it's this really wacky thing. And of course, the big moment is is when you play the drums on "In the Air Tonight." Yeah, those guys were really good work. I had a good cast to work around me, you know, and it was really awesome. That's the one thing, like you said, when you're talking about acting or anything along those lines. If someone's that good, you just have to you just have to pay attention and follow along with what they're doing. Man, it's just um, it's an art. Trust me, acting's an art. It's more than just saying your lines. But I agree with that, too. And I think anything like that, I always say that wrestling is an art form as well. When you're creating... Absolutely. You know what I mean? And that was one Absolutely. thing I noticed, that, that you appreciated that when you came to uh, to Raw. I think it was probably nine years ago, whatever it was. You were appreciating the art form of it, uh, the, the, the theater uh, style. Hey, that's what it's all about. That's what people want to know. It's like, it's like to me, wrestling is like um, it's a soap opera for men. Exactly. You know? Yeah, and 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 the 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 uh, the character. That's why you were so good at it. When the few times that you did it, because you understood the character part of it uh, more than. Oh, I, I, listen, that's my one of my. That was one of my dreams of being doopy on wrestling one time when I was a little kid. Really, I, I knew all that stuff. Yeah, you wanted to actually be an actual pro wrestler, right? Actually, I wanted to be. Yeah, man, Bruno Sammartino was the man. He beat everybody. <laughs> I told you it was like 1974 or something. I went and saw with my brother. You know, it's it's cool. I had Bruno on this podcast, and he uh, he said he would do it, but he insisted on meeting me in an Italian restaurant. So I went with him to his favorite Italian restaurant, set my stuff up in the middle of the restaurant with all the people talking and hanging out, and talked to Bruno for about two hours. And man, what a assistant, cool! You would have loved it, man, because he's he's eighty years old now, Mike, and God, damn. he still looks great. He looks like he could kick the shit out of both of us. Um, <laughs> you know, he talked great. He sounded great. It was a real cool experience to be around such a a great man in his element, telling all these amazing stories. You know, man, I remember. I just remember watching him as a little boy when he was champion. 
It's just one of the biggest memories. He was a champion. No one could beat him. He was a champ for so long. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting, too. Like, I remember... I remember when we were there, you had, uh, you had uh, I think your son was with you, maybe a couple of your kids there, who were very polite, by the way, and you were very insistent on telling, telling him, make sure you say hi to Mr. Jericho or say hi to Mr. Uh, Mr. Triple H. You know, you were very, I remember they were very polite children that you had. Thank you very much. But you were freaking out, though, man, because I remember we were going over this match, and you're like, yeah, there's Ricky Steamboat, there's, there's Michael Hayes. Like, you knew all kind of the guys from that era. <laughs> From that time frame, and Rick Flair, Rick, you know, Rick Flair, something special to tell you that. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, he's he's yeah, he's such a character to this point. You know, did you get a chance to t- to, to talk to Flair at all? Do you know him? Oh yeah, I was gonna say I'm talking to him. He's just a he's just a ball of energy. Absolutely, he's one of those guys. Well, he's he's. I always find the guys from the '70s. I think maybe times were a little bit different then, as far as what they were doing. Maybe after the matches or after their their whatever it was. To where they're always a little bit crazier than, than the rest of us. Wow, he's just, he's a nature boy. <laughs> yeah, the nature boy, absolutely, absolutely. Do you? Uh, another thing I noticed too, Mike, is when you're talking about reinventing yourself, um, you do. Uh, you've done a couple books now as well. I, absolutely, one is called um, Iron Ambition. That was my newest book I did about my life with my mentor, Customato. And so, I got Mike Tyson uh, mysteries. I have a cartoon. Can you believe that? I have a cartoon. That's my favorite, the Mike Tyson mysteries. <laughs> That's so funny. How, how did that come about? Because now you're like you're like Sherlock hey, Holmes. Hey, some people, some the people from Warner Brothers thought it would be a good idea. I didn't think it would be a good idea, and for some reason, it came out to be a good idea. But you notice something though, Mike. It's like you've become this iconic character. I mean. Yes, we all know that you were, you know, one of the greatest boxers of all time. Yes, you're the champ. But I think it's almost like what you've been doing over the last 10 years has made you more of a cultural, I know you won't say this because you're very humble, but it's made you more of a cultural icon since you retired from boxing than you were when you were in boxing. I used to try to keep a cool head and have more, use more emotional intelligence than I did in the past. I think a lot of it too is like you're one of those guys that everybody can imitate. You know, your voice is so unique. Uh, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm, sh- I'm, sure, I'm sure when you were a kid, that's something that might have... I have every Mike Tyson joke. <laughs> Don't they have the craziest stuff out there? They do. And it's all based around your, your unique character, your unique voice and all this sort of thing, which I'm sure when you were younger probably drove you crazy, but now it's become your trademark, your calling card. Yeah, my calling card is craziness. <laughs> <laughs> Does it blow your mind sometimes, Mike, when you look back? I, I read your first book, and you talk about uh, the, the, the amount of money that you spent and now how much smarter you are. I mean, that's, that's once again, when you're a kid and you don't know any better, you just think it's this all about being intelligent and having a family, the home base, and you start working your life back over again, you know, and it's something good. Mm-hmm. Just um, the good journey to go on. But, and, 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 you, and you're right, though, because I, I think about you, I kind of... Uh, appreciate the problems you must have had because when you're 19, 20, 20 years old and, you're, and your job is to beat people up and you've got a whole bunch of people around you telling you that you're the greatest for beating people up, that probably puts you in a different, in a different mindset than most. Hey, it's just um, it was a lot too fast for a guy my age at that time. Right, 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 right. Yeah. I handle it much better now. You handle it much better? Well, because you're older now. You're smarter, right? Absolutely, yes. I like to believe so. I think so. That happens to old to old guys like us, Mike. Once we grow up and realize, holy shit, were we ever crazy back in the day? You know. Absolutely. 
when you, when you uh, train now, what, 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 what kind of, because you've lost a lot of weight over the years now, what, what kind of training do you do? You still do a lot of cardio? A lot of cardio, a lot of light weight. And that's you what know, I just overcame a back surgery probably three weeks ago, a back surgery. I heard about that. I heard that you couldn't do some interviews because you were recovering. Was that from your boxing yeah. days? Was that from boxing? or? Um, I don't know. I think I, I saw some uh, a hovercraft, one of those little things my kids had. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, the little uh, skateboard things or whatever? Yeah, I think that's the cause of it. You were riding on that? Did you fall? Yeah, fell very hard. <laughs> man. Yeah, you can't be using those things, man. Those are for kids. I realize that nobody over 16 should drive it. <laughs> exactly. Especially guys like uh, big guys like you. Because one thing I noticed, too, when, oh, when, man. when you were boxing, you have a big legs and a bi- and big hips. Like, you have a big base. Is that something that helped you in your boxing years, you think? I believe it was. Yeah, I believe it was. It gave me the strength and power. Mm-hmm. Like, you had like, a, like, a, like for lack of a better term, like a big ass, right? Big, big legs and yeah, a big, big ass. Yeah, big butt and weight. <laughs> big butt helped you win, man. Just, I was going to ask you about when you talk about the Mike Tyson mysteries that you do in Adult Swim. Were you, voice, were you voicing over those cartoons? Absolutely, yeah. How was that for you? How, how do you do that? You just get the script and just go bang it out? Yeah, I can go to the studio house. We do it in um, L.A. Okay. It's so awesome. <laughs> Would you read the script and go, what the hell are these guys talking about? Um, I know it's all crazy and off the hook, man. It's all off the hook. That's what I mean. When you, when you, when you get all these projects, projects that come across your desk, has there any that you, has there been anything that you've turned down that was just too ridiculous for you? Well, some of them get crazy, but um, I got another one that I did that was crazy called Superhuman. Mm-hmm. It's really, really bizarre. You are going to watch people do the most incredible things. You, you can't believe what they can do. Is it a, a TV show? Yeah, it's called Superhuman. Check it, look, check it on it. Okay, so you're like the host of this show? Well, yeah, I'm one of the judges. Oh, so what kind of superhuman stuff are they doing? They're, man, they're like, they're like extorting their body, changing their bodies. And some guy, man, they're doing, they're doing like one guy could tell fake from a original. One guy could, you have two pictures. It's just hard to explain. These guys are just but you're say, incredible. You're saying that you'd have two paintings or something like that, and he can tell which one is the real one and which one is the fake one? No. No, you have two two um, screens playing, two televisions playing on the same channel, and he could spot something different. Oh, really? So those yeah. those type of things. Gotcha, gotcha. You know, it's, it's like one of those stories where you hear, like, the the car. I thought you were going to say it's like when the car turns over and the mom lifts the car because there's a kid stuck inside or something like that. But it's not that kind of superhuman. No, not that kind of stuff, no. It's some guy that could use their memory, could remember everybody and what everybody said. It's really interesting. Ah, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I've seen those guys before, like the mathematicians that can tell you, like the, the, the guys incredible, that are... Incredible, incredible. Way smarter than, than we are. Who, uh, as, 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 we, as we wind down here, Mike, who you got coming up on Bite the Mic as far as guests? Hey, listen, I don't know you. We, I, we haven't got back up yet, but we're going to find some characters. Yeah, well, like you said, Flavor Flav. You said, uh, what was it like when you talked to Lennox Lewis? How was that when you talked to guys you used to fight against? It's cool now. Was there a lot of animosity? Was, awesome. was there a lot of animosity? No, no animosity. No, no animosity. I was just a troublemaker when I was younger. So when you're boxing somebody, so, so you're talking about, let's say, a guy like Lewis, do you legit not like him when you go into the ring, or is it just business as usual and you got to no, destroy him? Well, you can't him? go to, you're going to a professional um, mentality. Mm-hmm. Like I said before, you have to use some emotional intelligence. Gotcha, gotcha. 
Because, like you said, it's so much intelligence for boxing as 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 it is. Yeah. It, let me ask you a couple last questions. What what's your favorite match, boxing match that you ever had? Trevor Burbick, Pat. Well, that's when you won the title. Exactly. What, did you go into that match thinking that you like? Obviously, you're thinking you're going to win, but what, what were the were the odds for you or against you at that time? It was for me. So people thought that you were going to go in there and just destroy him. Yes. You know, it's interesting to me because I remember in, in 1988 when, when you fought Michael Spinks and you won in 90 seconds, how everyone was really angry because they thought it was a ripoff that, like, the pay-per-view ended so quickly. But, my, my like, what are you supposed to do? Go out there and put on a 10-minute match just to go longer? Do you remember that, the, the backlash? It's band? just better him than me, that's all. <laughs> but that's what I was saying. It's like if he wins in 91 seconds, well, that's 91 seconds. It's not your fault that you just kicked his ass. Those are wonderful times. Yeah, it's good times, man. What? How about how about wrestling wise? Is there a favorite match that you saw that you remember? For me? Yeah. Do you remember like? Is yeah, there... Nikolai Nikolai Volkov and Bruno Sammartino. That's the one. He always goes back to Bruno. Yeah. That's like one of your all time life heroes. Because yeah. he was champion for so long. He was champion since I was a little kid. Till I was like a teenager. And you remember that too? It's still it's still yeah. rubbed off on you. That's twelve years. You know how long years go from. I'm like, listen, listen, nine years old and 12 more years, look, I'm a grown man, basically. Yeah, and you still remember that. That's that's the impact, yeah. right? Did, did, was there, was exactly. There a, was there a boxer that you liked when you were a kid? Roberto Duran. Oh, man. I think Duran's pretty underrated when you talk about the greats of boxing. Oh, absolutely. What a fighter. I think maybe the problem with him is he was fighting at the time when Ali was kind of in his prime. And people yeah. kind of forget about that, right? He's been fighting forever. He's you know, a master. What what uh, what what weight class was Duran? Uh, one hundred thirty five, one hundred forty seven, and one hundred sixty. Oh, so he fought in a lot of different weight classes. Yeah. How, how much did you weigh when you were in your prime? Two seventeen. Two seventeen. That was your that was your fighting weight, right? Absolutely, yeah. Who was your toughest opponent, Mike? That you think that, that gave you the biggest run for your money? I don't money. know. Probably Evander Holyfield. Wow, great fighter too, huh? Yeah. Are you cool with him at this day and age? Absolutely. Yeah, like you said, when when you get when you get into you know this age, the guys that you were in battles with when you were younger, they're almost like old war buddies. Yeah, we listen. We all get along now. Not no animosity. Do you ever watch any heavyweight boxing now? Not that much. There's really not a lot of, of, of great competitors at this point in time. There's one or two out there, but you know, like you said, not many. Who, who are the ones that you that, that stand out for you? Joshua Claudy, guy from England. Mm-hmm. That's basically it. Do you think boxing has a good yeah. future now, or do you think that MMA has kind of gotten involved a lot more? Well, you know, MMA got a big following, but boxing always has the guy that makes the most money. Boxing is just such a bizarre sport. Yeah, it is. Well, like you said, especially when you get a real true calling card, like Mayweather, for example, has become like the heavyweight champ now of boxing in a lot of ways as far as yeah. money-wise, you know? Exactly. Because it's, it's funny, too, because if you talk about Ali and Mayweather, they both use a lot of pro wrestling techniques as far as um, in, their, in their interviews, pissing people off to make them want to see people beat them up. There was a lot of pro wrestling element to that. But you never had that, Mike. You were just in the ring just being a destroyer. Well, that's what people wanted to see. People don't want you to talk. They want to see you hurt somebody or do some hurting. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, but like I said, yeah, I, I think you're right. And you're, I guess it depends on the character. I guess it's like wrestling. You know, if you get a guy like Bret Hart, he was more of just a serious guy. A guy like Shawn Michaels yeah. was more of a talker, those type of guys. And those are the guys they love the talkers. Yeah, yeah, right. Because those are the ones that bring you into the building, right? That bring the asses into the seats. Because you had a lot talkers. of great... You had a lot of great stuff with, with, with Steve Austin. Was he another guy that you enjoyed working with in the WWE? Yeah, I, I, met, I saw him not too long ago. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Well, because the, the angle that you guys did was so amazing with, with you know, the two of you in the ring and, and Vince screaming that Austin spoiled everything and you're in his face. I mean, that was a classic moment in WWE history. I'm glad to be a part of it. Last question for you, Mike. What did you feel when you got in, uh, inducted into the uh, WWE Hall of Fame? Hey, I'm so, so proud because I'm the only fighter that I believe that both in wrestling and, and boxing Hall of Fame. Who called you about that? Vince McMahon, Scott. He called you to come do it, right? I'm, yes. I remember that night. You tore it up on your speech, man. You were lit up. I'm so, so proud. <laughs> you, you couldn't stop smiling. So proud. It was fun. <laughs> it was really entertainment. I love entertainment. That's why. It was like live entertainment. Well, and you've, like you said, you've transitioned into that now of being an entertainer um, from, from being a boxer. Did you, ever, did you ever think that you could do that as far as go out of boxing and get into being kind of a, a multidimensional entertainer now? It just happened. But, but, you, but your personality allowed it to continue, right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I, I, and I, used to, um, I fell into the pocket and I just kept, following, I just kept going with it. Was there anything else that you want to do in entertainment that you haven't done yet? I haven't thought about it yet, but I'm having a good time with this um, podcast. It's going to be fun, man. We got to we got to line it up. Tell yeah, you got to come on. You got to come by. I'd love to, man. Especially with Rosenberg, man. Me and you can get, give him a run for his money. Oh, I love giving him a hard time. <laughs> Mike, man, it's been great talking to you, man. It's it's great reconnecting with you. And like I said, one of the scariest moments of my life was standing there watching Mike Tyson get ready to punch me in the face. <laughs> You had you had such control though, Mike. You came straight across, and and you barely grazed my chin, but it was so fast. I actually felt the breeze of your of your of your fist come by my face. Well, you know, I'm a professional. I'm a professional. <laughs> Dude, I went down on the ground and I went like a dead bug. Like, you know, like the like when you knock somebody out, they always look kind of weird. And I had Vince uh, and the producer of the show asking the referee, "Is he okay? Is he okay?" And I wouldn't say anything. Because they thought I was, they thought you, they, yeah, not they thought you really knocked me out, man. And I was like, I'm not going to say a word until we go off the air. I want everyone, and they were like, did he knock you out? I'm like, oh yeah, man, he was tough. He swung that damn punch and knocked me the f out, you know? We had a good time. <laughs> one, of my, one of the greatest moments of my career, Mike. I got a great picture of it of you swinging. It looks like you're knocking me out. So I appreciate that, man. And uh, awesome. I, look, I look forward to connecting on, uh, on Bite the Mic. Thanks. Look forward to having you. Thanks, my man. You have a you have a good Take day. Take care, Chris. All right, brother. Take care, man. Thank, Thank you. you, Chris. Bye. All right, so cool to connect with Iron Mike Tyson. Like I said, not the most talkative of guys, but you get what you're given, and uh, I had a great time talking to him. You're crazy, man. You're crazy. Go check out his podcast, Bite the Mic. It's available at Apple Podcasts. Hopefully he uh, talks more on that one. He's also got his book, Iron Ambitions, his animated series, Mike Tyson Mysteries on Adult Swim, and you heard what he said. He's working on a second Broadway show. I'm sure it's just as funny as his first one-man show. Hey, Iron Mike Tyson, what a legendary uh, dude here. 
here on Talk is Jericho. Very proud to have him. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks again to uh, Ash, the fish expert, talking about spearfishing. No shortage of, uh, of stories from that kid. And no shortage of funny stories from these kids. Team Tiger Awesome, bringing the ridiculoso laughs to the Jericho Network every Sunday morning. Hello, my friend. I'm Corsica Chabiani, the inventor of yogurt. You're busy, I get it. But why not have a little yogurt today? You can do it almost wherever, in a church, at the court hearing, crying softly in your mid-sized crossover. It would surely be so great for all the makers of the yogurt. Hey, why not add some honey or some crunchies if you need to? It doesn't bother me. It's just my life's work, so you know, do whatever. Just eat the yogurt. It's legal here. And you want to exercise your right as American people with American chowdown, yeah? So have delicious, delicious yogurt. You can have toppings if you want. Don't let the people who spell yogurt with an H stop you from your lip-smacking daddy experience. That's all you got to do if you want me, Corsica Chobiani, to be fulfilled in life. For a complete biography of me and the history of yogurt, why not tune into the Team Tiger Awesome Show every Sunday on the Jericho Network in Podcast One. Get your laugh on every Sunday morning with the Team Tiger Awesome Show at Apple Podcasts. Leave them a five-star rating. Leave all the Jericho Network's five-star ratings. Killing the Town uh, with Storm and Cyrus. Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. Raven Effect. Flagship Show. Keep it at 100 with Conan and Beyond the Darkness. Uh, get your paranormal fix every Wednesday with brand new episodes. Uh, a big thank you to this episode's tremendous sponsors and all of you for supporting them. Talking about DDP Yoga. Go to ddpyoga.com slash Jericho to get 20% off the DDP Yoga. Yoga Now app and all DDP Yoga related managing clothing and the Bombfell. Get 25 bucks off your first purchase with a personal stylist at bombfell.com slash Jericho. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Keep listening for the 60 second AP news headlines coming up next. And don't forget the, uh, the new United States leg of the Judas Rising tour has been announced. We are going out with the amazing, uh, amazing characters in uh, Gemini Syndrome. We start that on September 16th in uh, Shakopee, Minnesota for the 93X universe, uh, anniversary show. Then it starts September 27th, Fort Wayne, Columbus, Detroit, Libertyville, Janesville, Niagara Falls, Wilkes-Barre, Worcester, Wilmington, Winston-Salem, uh, Clarksville, Tennessee, Wilmington, Delaware. Go to FozzyRock.com for tickets for any of those shows. Check out all the other gigs coming up uh, in the fall in Europe. And don't forget about the Fozzy VIP, the greatest VIP you will experience. A mini concert. Come sing with us. Come do whatever you want. Go crazy. Rock out with your uh, with your kids' ox out. Uh, thank you so much, and get ready for this. Coming up on Friday, Breezango will be here. That's right. Tyler Breeze and Fandango make their podcasts debut right here on Talk is Jericho and what a show that's going to be. Thank you so much. In the meantime and in between time stay hard, stay hungry, peace love and hugs and a big you boy. You're crazy man. You're crazy. <laughs>